Today, I have a great interview for you to listen to. I interview fellow South African Brad Shawkend. He, along with his business partner, Andy Golding, run a company called Still Human. They help to create awesome workplaces and organizations with a fantastic culture. Who doesn't want that? Brad is the co-author of We Are Still Human and Work Shouldn't Suck. A book, the book talks about how to build relevant businesses and exceptional work experiences for human beings in a world that has gone digitally crazy. So enjoy the interview. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's awesome having you. And um, Brad, where am I speaking to you from today? Lance, I am sitting in my office in Westcliff in Johannesburg. Uh, very grateful to be here after having been at home for just over a year. That's wonderful. I love talking to people from my own country and especially Johannesburg. And the, the question I ask, maybe the listeners are sick of it by now, but I ask all the authors like a get-to-know-you question. Um, when it's not locked down and hasn't been here for a while, what do you like doing around Johannesburg for fun on the weekends and stuff? So I spend my weekend um, doing a couple of different things. One thing I do a lot of is hiking. And surprisingly, we actually have quite a lot of good hiking spots around, around Johannesburg, in and around Johannesburg. And um, that's when I'm not traveling because I also like to do it all over the world when we can. Wow. And then coffee shop. I'm a, I'm a coffee snob and I love missioning around town, finding new, exciting coffee shops. My, my last interview was someone from Seattle and I asked him about coffee and he said he's probably the only person in Seattle that doesn't drink coffee, which was a bit of a disappointment. I also like coffee. Anyway. <laughs> um, so Brad, which which, thank which you of so them was that? Pardon? Which one of them was that? Uh, Who was have, that? It has to stay confidential, you know, otherwise. Um... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, so, Brad, could you tell us about your life and leading this awesome, you know, forming this awesome company that you have, Still Human? Yeah, thank you. Um, so, I did not, as a youngster, envisage that I would be building and running a, a company that was specializing in in the workplace and creating workplaces that don't suck and that um, <laughs> are designed to be better for human beings in a, in a world gone digital crazy. My, my aspiration as a, as a kid was to be a professional soccer player. I played soccer very seriously. I, I went overseas uh, when I was 14 and, and played internationally. And that was my dream. But um, when I finished school uh, in the late 80s, there was no, it wasn't like it is today where you have lots of opportunity and um, uh, many of the guys that I played with overseas went on and played full Bafana Bafana, but mm. I, um, I got an education. I became an, I studied architecture, became an architect and built a, a very, um, very successful architectural practice. I was running around the world, designing great spaces or cool spaces. And um, at the same time though, as building the architecture practice, I was also developing a flair for entrepreneurship. I really enjoyed getting involved in lots of different things on the side. And um, during that time of building the architecture practice, my business partner and I were involved in all sorts of things. We had a construction company, we had beauty salons, we had a, wow. a, a music retail business. Uh, we could go on. We had lots of businesses. Mr. Price Home and Clothing in Tanzania, if you really wow. want to have a, a headache business. Amazing business, but mm. far away with things that people need, need to steal. Um, <laughs> so tricky. 
And, um, but I got to a point after having been in that space, in that game for 16 years, building the business and, and loved it, loved every second of it, where I was feeling a little bit purposeless. I was feeling like, you know, we were doing good business. We were making lots of money, but I wasn't growing as a, as a human being. And um, I felt like I needed a new challenge and I, I stepped away um, mm. very hard because my, I had a brilliant, brilliant business partnership. Uh, my partner and I had become best to this day or a decade and a half later, he's still my best friend. We were strangers when we went into business together mm. and he's like my brother. So it was very hard, but I needed to do it for myself. And um, I re-educated myself. I started studying. First thing I studied was consciousness. And I then started exploring how to best utilize this in the world and dabbled with a few things and then found myself moving into the world of trying to help business leaders think differently. And that took me on a journey that is now in its 16th year again. So my wow. second real career is about to overtake my first. And um, in these 16 years, I've, I've traveled, I've studied under great leadership mentors, innovation mentors that I still work very closely with. I've gotten very involved in academia. I'm faculty at a couple of international business schools. And um, along the way, started a bunch of other businesses in um, other sectors, while my main focus has been still human, and um, obviously as still human, we, we work inside organizations uh, on organizational culture and employee experience, and, and the whole premise of getting more out of human beings, but in a constructive, healthy way, with a benefit back to business. Mm. And it's so vital today. Um, your publisher contacted me and she said, she said, you've got to you know, interview Brad about this book. It's a, it's a work that'll impact, you know, it needs to be out there. And I agree. So congratulations on your book. We are still human and work shouldn't suck. Um, what led you Thank to you. writing it? Uh, I guess that's in your previous answer, but maybe you can give us an overview of, of the book. So, you know, it's, it is interesting because still human evolved uh, almost accidentally um, from uh, a little bit of a, a research exercise, and I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit more just now. I'll, I'll respond to your book question first. Mm. But um, we've been running Still Human for about seven years. Andy Golding, my business partner, and I, and, and we've incorporated a model that involves lots of associates and partners in a, in a very well-articulated, outsourced way. Um, and we've focused on understanding what do the best organizations around the world to work for obsess about getting right in terms of the employee experience, in terms of uh, the human beings in those organizations. And so we, we started about seven years ago, um, stalking. Stalking is probably a good word, mm. a great organization. <laughs> we were researching them. We were reading articles. We were on the internet. We were dropping into their, their private message boxes. We were visiting some of them. And we were just relentlessly curious about what is it that they obsess about getting right. And we were looking for five things. We believed that five would be a great model. Uh, we then got to seven and we then got to 12. Mm. And uh, we created this model that we then took back to the organizations we had researched. And we said to them, you know, this feels very bulky. How do we trim it down? And they said, you can't. Everything in here matters significantly. So we stuck to it. And we started playing around with the model, not doing anything formal. We hadn't actually become a business yet, Andy and I. We were just collaborating on the research. Sure. And um, we were invited to speak at a learning conference uh, about six years ago. And uh, we 
we, I said to Andy, let's share the model. You've got a whole lot of learning practitioners, culture practitioners in the room. Let's share it. Let's see what happens. And uh, we had to give ourselves an identity for the conference because like, we couldn't be nameless on the, uh, on the program. So we called <laughs> ourselves Essentials, randomly called ourselves Essentials. Mm. And um, during the course of, the, of the, the talk, there was a moment where I said, because we are still human in the whole room, a few hundred people, like, they, they went, <gasps> and there was this like, almost moment of realization in the space. And we finished the presentation, we got off the stage, I said to Andy, we need to make a business out of this. And there and then, and I said, and we're going to call it Still Human. And we did that. And then we started engaging in the space and building the model more. And we, more and more people were asking us, have you written a book? Um, because there's a lot here that needs to be in a book. And one day I, I said to Andy, we need to do this. And we took the plunge. Uh, now, co-authoring is its own special thing because you've got to find a common language. You've got to find a common voice. Uh, but at the same time, it's the thing that I believe dragged us over the line because writing a book is a, is a <laughs> tough pursuit. Mm. And um, it's interesting because the, the book was, as you mentioned, our publisher, um, Tracy, published the book in December of 2018. And um, you know, on the front cover of the book, it talks about building businesses for human beings in a world that's gone digital crazy. And we couldn't have known that this book that we wrote, that is very intentionally a a, you know, many books that are on the shelves are great books, but they, they tell you what to do. They don't tell you how to do it. We were hell-bent on creating a user guide. This is how you do it. And um, we had no idea that it was going to find such relevance two, and a, you know, two years later, two and a quarter years later, when the world got turned upside down and went even more digital. And the theme around more and better humaning got so amplified. So it, um, it found a, a different and even more amplified relevance during this COVID experience that uh, we've been going through and continue to go through. And that's mm. now stimulated. We've got another two books we're busy with that are, are builds on what we did previously because we've done a lot more work and we've worked with a lot of organizations now around the world using the methodology and expanded into other areas of impact. So that's how Still Human evolved and, and how the book came about. Mm. And have you found that there's been like an increase in interest in sales in your book since, you know, COVID? Have people come back to it? Yeah, there's been definitely a, a re... Because books go through, you know, there's their peaks and troughs, there's cycles, mm. there's where you launch it, there's a lot of noise, it's new, it's exciting. And then it, it kind of settles in. Also, you know, we had, we were testing hypotheses, we did a lot of research, we built the model, but it hadn't been really tested. Now it's been tested in, in a lot of organizations and we've seen how well it works and how flexible it is as well. And that's really important. And so, yeah, we did experience a, a definite increase in activity with COVID. Also in terms of global access, because suddenly we were a lot more globally uh, or receiving a lot more global exposure sure. just because of the networks we're tapping into, the webinars, you know, there was so much digital stuff. And previously, people that were just names on, on programs are now people we were able to talk to, access, have communication with. And um, the world is just one tiny little screen inside a, uh, a communication platform now. Mm. And you've got amazing people who you know, have endorsed it. So you've got the forward by Dr. Graham Codrington, which is an amazing thinker in himself, uh, and all sorts of other people as well. So... That's, that's amazing and, and brilliant. Um, 
so maybe I can ask you about a character and get into the book itself before we get into the 12 essentials, et cetera. You've got a character in your book that you say, if, you know, apologies if your name is Ralph when you're reading the book, but <laughs> this person is called Ralph and it stands for something. Maybe you can introduce us to Ralph. I can. It's interesting you mentioned Graham as well, because Graham, Graham was at that event that I mentioned at that conference where we shared the model. And he came, we had never met Graham. I just knew who he was. I'd always really looked up to his, his mind and his ways of working. And um, he, said, he said to us, you guys have got something here. And that was the first words we ever exchanged with Graham. And we then uh, went and had uh, contacted him after. He said, what do you see? And he said, no, he said, you've made something that's really hard to quantify, very tangible. And um, an amazing uh, business relationship and friendship grew out of it. And the one day we said to him, we, we may write a book. And he was like, good luck with that, because he's written a few. <laughs> and, um, and we said, well, maybe, maybe we'll ask you to do the forward. And he said, well, send it to me when you're ready, and I'll have a look at it. If I like it, maybe I'll do that. And um, the day he sent back his, uh, his response, that he, he, it would be his privilege, he said, to do the forward, was a very, very big day for me, because I'd always really respected his work. And suddenly he was writing the forward on our book and, and endorsing it. And, you know, he hosted with us... Um, our, our um, book, uh, what do you uh, launch, launch at, at yeah. Gibbs at the business school? Mm. And it was just, you know, th these are things that I'd never imagined, and yet, yeah, they were happening. So, Ralph, let's move to Ralph. Ralph <laughs> is the villain in, in our work, yeah. and we do always endorse and say, if your name is, if your name is Ralph, don't take this personally, or maybe you should. <laughs> but um, Ralph is is the guy who R A L P H stands for refusing to allow learning and progress to happen. Ralph, mm. R-A-L-P-H. And we find that in our work, everywhere we go, we encounter somebody who is digging their heels in, who does not want change to happen, who wants things to stay the way they've always been, who is resisting learning and progress. And they need to be dealt with. And I say dealt with, first option is with love and compassion and care and kindness and you know, bring them on board is always what we try or help leaders try. And then we've also had to have Ralph's harshly dealt with because, you know, if you're a leader or a team or an individual and you're trying to do something constructive and meaningful in your organizational context and in the culture, and you're, you're building a, a positive and constructive wall, but there's a Ralph or there's somebody who's always pulling the bricks out of that wall. Mm. You know, you, you, you can't allow that to persist. And we see... Uh, an excessive tolerance of bad behavior in organizations. So um, we, yeah, we go a long way to getting people to manage their elves. <laughs> That's fantastic. And themselves with their elves. And the Ralphs, yeah. Um, and talking about Ralphs and, and what it stands for, you know, I left the, the, the chapter on switch on and grow because I think that's what you're talking about. And you've got quotes that are at the front of every chapter and people that I've interviewed in the podcast, like, you know, Pascal, Pascal Finette, which I interviewed right at the beginning of this podcast, was fantastic and I follow his work. And also a quote from Herb Kelleher, which says, the business of business is people, yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. And so I agree with that. It'll always won't be about AI at the end of the day. It'll be about people. So can you tell us about switching people on and helping them to grow? Because every business wants to do that. So it's great that you mentioned Pascal and that you interviewed Pascal. And um, 
uh, the Pascal also was somebody who we researched years ago. We fell in love with his quote where he says, human beings are not a resource. They are the source of everything that a company does. And mm. because of the way the world works, and I, we also, now Pascal is a, is a personal friend and a colleague, and uh, this was just a stranger who we wrote about. And uh, on a call a little while ago, I held up the book and I showed him the, our quotes, in the, his quotes in the front of our book. He was like, no way. You know, so it's unbelievable how we're able to access these great minds. Um, and and the, Herb Keller, the, the quote is brilliant because it talks to the fact that in every organization, your asset, your investment is human beings. And if an organization views the human beings in that, in that company as investments, you know, mm. what do you do with investment? You make the best decisions you can around how to optimize and grow it and extract the best value consistently from it. So if you make decisions like that around people, which in our context is switching them on and growing them, switching them on means that they are wanting to participate, they are motivated, they are inspired, they want to give of their discretionary effort. And growing them means stretching them, accessing their intellectual capability um, and helping them become better, smarter, meaning that they're growing their thinking ability. This creates more motivation and inspiration. Switch off and deplete means that you are demotivating them, uninspiring them, disconnecting them. And depleting them means that they're not actually uh, contributing intellectually and hence either even further disconnection. And ultimately, you're not going to get the best out of that investment. And there's mm -hmm. a reverse lens on this as well, because if you, if the employees, the people view themselves as investments, then their mindset is, well, I need to bring a return on myself. How do I behave, think, deliver, contribute to bring that return on myself as an investment? And if organizations understand this, that you design your culture, you design your, your values constructs, your winning behaviors, your ways of working, your leadership mindsets around switching people on and growing them, you work your way to becoming what we call a company behaving awesomely. And that is an organization to which the best people want to come, choose to come, and choose to stay at. And while they're there, they shoot the lights out. Great innovation results, great business outputs, and they're proud to say that mm. they work there. And yeah. all of this because you switch them on and grow them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And talking about companies behaving awesomely, that leads to the next question, which is your 12 essential you know, elements or attributes of a company behaving awesomely. And just to remind the listeners, we're speaking to Brad Shawkend about his fantastic book, We Are Still Human and Work Shouldn't Suck. And I'm going to have the links in the show notes for you to get it. So I'm not going to ask Brad to go through all 12 because... Um, you know, we don't want to give away all your secrets in a way. And they're beautifully laid out in your book. I really love the way you've laid it out and the graphics and the images that you've got for each one. It's really easy to read, which I really enjoy. But maybe we can speak about three of them, if that's okay, Brad. Uh, sure, go for it. Okay, so the first one then is just what you're speaking about now. Like, how do we create a culture where people are important, have huge potential and allowed to reach their potential? And maybe, you know, you covered elements in your previous question, but maybe you can give us some more insights in how a company can develop and grow these, these gems, these people that you want to invest in. Um, could you possibly share some more information around that? Yeah, for sure. So in the model, the model is, is what we call the 12 essentials of a company behaving awesomely. And as mm -hmm. I mentioned, we were here for five, it became seven, then became 12. 
And what the intention is with this model is that each of these needs to be um, maintained and sustained at their highest possible level of experience because they're all impacting each other all the time. And when you have a drop in your ways of working in terms of the experience people are having, other of the 12 essentials get impacted. Meaningful communication suffers, knowledge flow suffers, ownership and accountability suffers. Now you've asked about people and, and the one, the essential that pertains specifically to people and the growth and development of people is the essential that we call people push. And the descriptor for people push is that we passionately believe in people's potential and we strive for their growth in new and positive directions. And we constantly feel comfortably uncomfortable. So the intention here is for people to grow, but constructively. So that mm. there's a constructive element of stretch. And um, the intention here is that as leaders in any organization, you are waking up in the morning, going to work, whatever that means these days, with a very strong awareness around the individuals that you impact directly and with a plan and a people strategy for how it is you're going to be engaging them. You have a, a heightened awareness of what it is they're working on. You have a heightened awareness of their level of comfort or discomfort within that. And you have a heightened awareness of their connection to the work and the impact that it has and their understanding of the bigger picture, as well as their development requirements and that you are guiding that development consistently. Otherwise, you really do have people going through the motions. And the whole point of this is that people are not just going through the motions, that they are energized, that they are participating, and that they feel like they're contributing and making a difference. But um, that requires intentionality and what we call personalized leadership. It requires a culture of this. Mm. And, you know, Brad, I've actually never encountered that before. In Like, I'm, a, I'm 50 years old, and I've never encountered that before until my current company now, where, you know, the sales director said that he'd be disappointed if we don't grow to our full potential and almost, you know, expects people to leave after a while because maybe the company will be too small for them and they will outstrip the potential of the company. And that takes a special type of person and manager to do, I think. I don't, I think, don't you think those are very rare type of people in the world that need to be more of that? Or do you come across people like that quite often these days? I wish we came across more of those people. We do come across them but they yeah. are rare and yeah. unfortunately rare. You know what's, what's so magic, um, so incredible of that, about that leader is that leaders not uh, making it about themselves. They are growing the individuals in their uh, leadership accountability, first and foremost, because that's what it brings great results back to the business is people who are growing and able to deliver because ultimately we got to do the business of business. Yeah. So People who are switched on and growing bring better return. But secondly, that leader's got a lens on the individual as well and saying, hey, if you outgrow this place, fantastic. Because that leader understands that they will then have done a great job of leading both for the organization and for the individual. However, what lots of leaders do is they don't want to grow people because they want to keep the people. I once had in a session I was running that we were teaching this methodology of leadership and one guy put up his hand and he said, this is fantastic. I love all of it. But can you also teach me how to make sure they never leave me? And that was the most limiting thing he could ever have said. Like, I was like, dude, you missed the point here completely. Because yeah. for him, he didn't want the discomfort of having to now grow new people, lead. He missed the point. 
that heating is not about how much, this was in a mining environment, how much coal can you produce? Because that he was measuring the wrong thing in terms of performance. Yeah. He wasn't measuring the people development context. Um, it's an imbalanced metric. And too many organizations, their scorecards are completely upside down. They don't measure good humaning. They measure production outputs, often at the price of the human being. Yeah. And, and that's why this book is so really, really important. And hope, hopefully it can change the world. Um, the, maybe the last thing of the 12 and, and that I want to talk to you about is purpose. And Brad, I, this morning I was going through all the, the banks' um, financial, the, the financial reports. Um, exciting thing to do, don't you think? But uh, all of the four, I was amazed. <laughs> I was amazed to see that they all have purpose statements. And I've, you know, I've interviewed people, uh, authors, and at least half, maybe three quarters, have purpose as a key part of their book. And I didn't think it had gone down to the level where all our four major banks have purpose as, before mission. And, and the, I was really impressed by that. And obviously, I, agree, I believe in purpose, and you, you believe in purpose as well. So maybe talk to us a little bit about purpose and how vital it is for companies and people. So purpose is essential because it's the thing that creates connection. Mm. Um, you know, we define, we've gone a step further in our model. We refer to the shared purpose because the purpose is not, not really functional if the shareholders have a purpose, but no one in the organization knows what it is or can align to it or be energized by it or the exco or the leadership team or the CEO, it needs to be shared. Mm. And the sharing is where the magic lives because uh, our definition of, sh of shared purpose is as an organization, we are all strongly aligned with our reason for believing in ourselves and why we exist. So what it does is it creates um, a, an alignment on why we matter and what that does is that then fuels the narrative around your mission because you can then align the missions and have people appropriately energized and wanting to participate because they understand why, because it plugs into purpose. The same with the values construct. Do these values constructs that we articulate support meaningfully the purpose? And so that's why that, um, that, that narrative is so critical and words inside it are really important. And we do a lot of work helping organizations articulate and, oh, you can wheel spin on a certain word, but that word is the thing that can send you two degrees in the wrong direction, but then where do you end off or end up? So yeah, it, it is an important part of an organization's narrative. What's interesting for me, you mentioned the banks and we work with all the banks um, in, in different contexts in each of them. And obviously we are professional secret keepers. So we don't, none of them know what we do with the others. And, and that's important. Yeah. But I challenge them hard in terms of is what the purpose says on your website or on the sign in your boardrooms, is that being walked and talked and lived in the leadership behaviors, in the culture they design and articulate and sustain. And um, yeah, those are often not easy conversations no. because we hold up a, harsh mirror because i call nonsense on a lot of it um i think there's some really well-intentioned leaders and in the banks and in the banks but I, for as much good behavior and good intention as i see i see bad behavior and bad intention and i say you've articulated that purpose or those values does this look like that and they don't enjoy that yeah i i interviewed uh, um, fairly recently 
um, and Dr. David White, and he's wrote a book around culture. And he said, based almost, it's almost impossible to change culture, especially in large organizations like a bank, because it's so entrenched. Like when you get into a lift and you turn, you know, you know that you need to turn around, you know that you need to face forward, you know that you mustn't look people in the eye. And so, you know, you're challenging banks to to make their purpose, uh, you know, visible to all and uh, be adopted. But that is so, so difficult when, when you've got 50,000 people and you're trying to influence them. <laughs> Don't you find? <laughs> I agree. I mean, it's like it's like trying to turn a, a big battleship fast. Yeah. And it, it's extremely difficult. But for me, it goes back to what we spoke about earlier and behaviors that we tolerate. I, one of my big criticisms is too much bad behavior is not consequenced. And um, if more of the bad behavior that is counterculture counter purpose, counter good intention, counter good humaning uh, yeah. was consequence, you'd have a lot better organizational culture. Um, but the problem is there are too many. And again, we get call, uh, we call this out and we're very unpopular for it a lot of the time. But um, there's too many people walking on water, getting away with really bad behavior. And what happens is youngsters in the organization look up at these people and say, but so that's how I become successful. Cool. Yeah. I'll mimic that behavior. Yeah, uh, you've got a the wrong thing uh, perpetuating itself. <laughs> Absolutely. So, listeners, just a reminder: we're speaking to Brad Shawkend about his amazing book. We are still human, and he's the, there's twelve essentials of a company behaving awesomely, which in themselves are awesome. Um, and so, you need to buy the book. You need to, it's, there'll be a link in the show notes. You need to go to Amazon. You need to go wherever you can to buy the book. But I, I'm going to move off because we spoke briefly about what you know what you do and the mirror you show to organizations and how you interact can you tell us a little bit about still human and what services that still human offers sure so uh, still human is a uh, a human-centered organizational transformation organization what mm. that means is we help organizations shift their culture with an emphasis on employee experience and better humaning so we are all about helping organizations understand how they behave. So we do, we assess employee experience. Uh, we feed back and help them see where, what they were thinking was the experience people are having is not actually the experience that they're having. And then we help them plot their journeys in terms of the shift journey that they're going to take to create that experience with a direct understanding on its impact on business outputs. So it's highly strategic. It's people strategy. Um, we educate, we have an academy where we teach leadership and employee experience. We also train and accredit employee experience orchestrators, mm. specialists, people who want to practice because this is now becoming a hot career to go into organization, not as HR. A lot of HR practitioners are coming to us asking to be trained in this. So we help them train and accredit as employee experience orchestrators and we also place them. We help them find roles. Sure. Um, and I, I see you've got an acronym EXO for it. Yeah, EXO is Employee Experience Orchestrator. <laughs> but that, that's what Still Human does. We, we measure experience. We teach how to create it. We teach how to lead for it. We help organizations on their shift journeys. Uh, and, to and what kind of program is that? Uh, can you give us an insight into how long it takes and what process you go through for these with these people? You know, every organization is different. I, I mm. came out of a meeting this afternoon with one of our big corporates and, you know, they're looking at, we've been working with them for two years. We've put uh, pro 
a couple of thousand leaders through, first it was in-room training, then it was on Zoom. And we've now developed this all as on-demand content that now can get scaled to 40,000 people overnight. Awesome. What that does is it means the common language, the tools, the methodologies, um, there's a coaching model to support it. So, you know, that that's a, a very quick, you know, I traveled uh, a few years ago, I traveled for about two and a half years, three years, all over the world, five continents, taught 3,000 leaders in, in one of our big energy companies, face-to-face, and, and I got to, to about 3,000 leaders in an organization of 40,000. We hardly scratched the surface. Now, yeah. with what we've learned in the past year about online and on-demand, we literally can have them all accessing learning content about how to create better cultures, how to be better in terms of the experience they create for the people they lead and their colleagues. And they can be in that program overnight. It's eight hours of on-demand content that can be done in many different ways uh, with coaching support. It's insane what we can now do. But what the impact that can have in an organization is profound. Yeah. And is the opportunity tab still valid? Are you still looking for amazing coaches, facilitators, and XOs? Oh, yeah. So we, we now are building a tribe or a community. Uh, we've started a, a, um, uh, a community that's a global community, which we call CoEXO, and it's the collective of employee experience orchestrators. And it's mm. anybody who, it's because we were having people message us saying, I'm in this role, <laughs> I'm the people specialist or the employee experience um, uh, officer, and I don't know what to do because it's just, they've told me to fix the people thing. And so that's why we've actually created this training program for the practitioners. So the first two modules are what organizations are doing. There's the, um, the fundamentals of employee experience and then the leading for experience. And that's for everybody. That's for mm. anybody who wakes up in the morning to go to work. And then we go further into a specialization which is for practitioners, and we're busy developing a master's, which we're actually looking to accredit through one of the big business schools for people who really want to get stuck into be, being experts in this space and working with organizations in practice. That's awesome. So the, the website is stillhuman.ca.za, and so please go and visit that, everybody. Um, and last time, we, it was an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Brad. I really, really enjoyed your book and this interview. Thank you so much for the time. I know you're extremely busy. So thank you very, very much. Thanks for having me, Lance. Thank you. And very the book, great to be here. The book is called We Are Still Human and Work Shouldn't Suck. And I agree with that. <laughs> so it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Um, if you, the listener, uh, found this as interesting and useful as I did, then please, won't you, just reach out to me, tell other people about the podcast, Get them to listen. Um, if you want to contact me, my email is lance at Um Website is businessbookshelfpodcast.com. Um, if you've got an author, you know, you found some author amazing as Brad and a book that's changed you, then let me know. Um, I can even send you a T-shirt with a branded T-shirt if you, if you recommend an author that I can interview. Um, and I, all you need to do is send me a picture to put on my website. So that's cool. Um, so, Brad, thank you once again. And until next time, goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much. Stay well, stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.